Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, Rochelle. <laughs> Need to make sure that gets to my girls. <laughs> um, yeah, just an absolute joy to, to be here. Um, I think if somebody can just remind me of the time as we, as we go along, because my heart is full and I have so much that I want to share with you guys, but I, I also have respect for our, uh, for our time together. Uh, but man, what a privilege to, to be here again whenever I come to Johannesburg. It is uh, such a reminder for me of a lot of stuff that God has done uh, in my life personally. Um, it was here in Johannesburg, in Boxburg, actually, that uh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And my folks moved uh, to, uh, to Boxburg in 1985. My dad was in the, the Dutch Reformed Church, and, uh, and their season in the Dutch Reformed Church came to an end, and they moved to, uh, to Boxburg to attend Rhema, uh, driving from Boxburg to Rhema every, every day in Randburg. But uh, there, Pastor William, who was uh, one of our first church-planting pastors, he laid hands for me when I was in Standard 2, what is the grade 4, for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a precious memory for me. It's also a year that uh, um, one of my girls got filled with the Holy Spirit in Johannesburg as well and baptized. And year where we had so many precious memories in this congregation. Uh, still remember just now when I arrived here, just so many memories flooding back of us moving in here from uh, Cedar Park Center, Conference Center up in Woodmead. And uh, man, just amazing to see how the church has grown and changed and how many people the Lord has added. And truly to see how the Lord is building His church. And uh, Annie and Rochelle, just want to honor and want to thank you guys as well for your friendship over the years. It's been, you know, of those 30 years that we have been in Shofar. I've been in Shofar now for 28. It's been amazing to have you guys part of my life for such a, such a long time. And not just to have colleagues and ministry partners, but to have friends in God's kingdom is a massive, massive blessing. Um, so, so thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Mama Joyce, for your love over all the years. Uh, Mama Joyce, she's been praying for me. <laughs> she, has, she has also known me before. Before I got married, before I was a pastor, and I was just hiding to her. And uh, so, Mama Joyce, thank you for loving me and praying for me also. And, and uh, many of the words Mama Joyce has given me over the years have been instrumental in, uh, in my life. <clears throat> so, um, guys, this, this morning, I want to I share anybody that's streaming in, or those of you guys will be watching this a little bit later as well. Um, I want to continue around... A portion of scripture that God has given me a while ago, and I've been meditating on this, and I just want to continue to unpack it a little bit more for us. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 6. And man, just an incredible, powerful flow of the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, the words that came out this morning are centering around the holiness of God and centering around us laying our lives down for His glory. So incredible, so powerful. And, and I want to encourage us to continue to dig deep into that, to to really focus on that, to go and meditate on what, what is the holiness of God, what does it mean to, to, to be in the presence of a holy God. And, um, and what I know is that there's a, uh, there's a powerful shift that's coming. Uh, a couple of months ago, the Lord told us to, as leaders to start consecrating our hearts, like he, he spoke to the people of Israel before they crossed over into the, into the promised land. And he said, consecrate your hearts because tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders in your midst. And so there's always this preparation of God's people that's needed before God does wonders, before God moves, before God takes us where He wants us to, to go. He first comes and He deals with our hearts. And, he, and sometimes it's a challenging time and it might feel uncomfortable. You might even feel like, man, have I ever been saved because God is exposing things in your life and He's confronting things uh, uh, or confronting you with things very much like having kids. You know, before you have those kids, you think you're pretty... You're pretty sorted out, and the kids come into your life, and you don't sleep that much, and things don't always work out the way that you've planned, and then things get exposed in your life, and you need to get saved all over again. And, but that is because God is preparing you for the glory that He's going to be, be revealing, even through those very same kids as well. You know, and just this morning, I was opening up my, 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 my suitcase, and, and some of the most amazing things about traveling is uh, these little love notes that I get when I'm, when I'm away from home. And just these three little notes 
tucked away in my shoe or in my toilet case or somewhere in this little treasure hunt. And I open my suitcase looking for my clothes and stuff. And, and then there's this note from Katie and this note from Annika and then another one from Nikki. And it's just so precious. Um, and that's the way God works with us. And he, he has these surprises in store for us. But I think back to moments when I was confronted with things in my own life and I was like, man, I don't know if, if I'm worthy of continuing in this relationship. Even before we got married and then in our marriage and, and with the girls and I'm thankful that I, I stuck it out. I'm thankful that I didn't run away. I'm thankful that I didn't allow unforgiveness or bitterness or selfishness to rule my heart. That I stuck it out in the relationships. And, um, you know, just holding Annika, she wasn't a good sleeper. She still doesn't like sleeping. Um, and, you know, you love this little thing to bits, but man, she's also driving you insane. And, and now I look at her, and she's 15 years old, and she's so gorgeous and beautiful. And I've got my whole arsenal of guns there at the back of the house. I'm investing in, uh, in the Rottweilers and all sorts of things. I'm, I'm getting ready. You know, and I'm thinking, man, thank you, God, for this treasure. Thank you for this amazing treasure, and thank you for giving me the grace to continue through those phases. The joy set before us. You know, but, but the stuff the Lord is doing in her heart now, it's just yesterday at Convergence, I was busy praying for somebody, and then I was looking up, and there I see my girl laying hands on somebody and praying for them. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I can go home. You know, it's like, you can now rapture me, you can go to heaven. You know, just something that, like, I'm thankful that I was able to just continue, take one step after the other. You know, I believe that God is wanting to encourage many of us this morning to, for the joy set before you, to continue, to just plug in, step in, dig in, continue just taking that next step in what God is showing to you now. Because I believe that shift that is coming is that God is, is busy translating us as His people out of the, the kingdom of the fear of man into and translating us into the kingdom of the fear of God, where we will not just visit that place, but where we will live in that place, where we live within the awe of the holiness of God and the glory of God. That's our passion. And I want to encourage those of you who missed out on this weekend, uh, we're going to have the sessions made available maybe in a week or two weeks' time, to really go in and listen to those sessions and meditate upon them. And, and the, the challenge for us always after a a weekend like this is to, is to go forward understanding that they're talking about the sessions and thinking about the sessions for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. That's one thing. But living the seed that has been given to us, that's something else. Living it. Taking those next few steps and asking the Lord, God, these seeds that you have given me that I've received, what will the fruit look like in my marriage, in my work environment, with my friends, in my own heart, in my own thoughts? What will it look like? And, and, and if we just go back to that first session, if we want to be living as holy people, vulnerable and repentant before the throne of God, and willing to, to go in loving obedience to His holy love, then I know that it is going to cost us something. If we really want to live as holy people, if we really want to be in awe of His holiness, if we really want to, to respond out of gratitude to His holiness and to His forgiveness, it is going to cost us something. If we want to be living as sons and daughters of the Most High God, positioned at the gates of heaven, and not living as orphans, but as sons and daughters of favor, if, if we are wanting to silence the voices of our souls and the voices of the flesh and the, the voices of the enemy like Jesus had to when he was in the desert, and live as sons and daughters of God, and extend the kingdom, it is going to cost us something. If, if we want to live as disciple-makers of all nations, all ethnic groups, both far and close, then, and if we want to see them through His eyes, not through the eyes of our culture or our traditions or our backgrounds, then it is going to cost us something. If we are wanting to live as, as living sacrifices who offer up to God worship that, that, that's pleasing and acceptable to Him, both inside of a church context like this and outside in the world, and not just sing the songs, but live it, then it is going to cost us something. If we want to, to not just talk about healing to the, 
to those who are struggling with mental health, but if we want to live as a vulnerable, loving, transparent community that will welcome those who are struggling and believe in the power of God's love and the power of God's Spirit to bring healing to those people, then it is going to cost us something. Living what has been deposited into our hearts ultimately will confront us and challenge us. For some of us in this, in this room, maybe what's going to happen is it's going to confront and challenge us in our comfort zones. That our comfort will be challenged. For, for some of us, it is going to cost us our religious and our cultural traditions and frames of reference. For others of us, it's going to cost us our perceptions of ourselves, how we've seen ourselves, how we've viewed ourselves, maybe through the lens of, of other people. For others of us, it's going to cost us the dreams which we had about our own lives as to where we saw our lives for the next five years or the next ten years. For others of us, it's going to cost us our independence and our privacy. For others of us, it's going to cost us our need for financial stability. For others of us, it's going to cost us this need to have everything neatly packaged, neatly mapped out to, to understand and to have everything make sense before we act in obedience. It's going to cost us our need of being in control. But above all, I believe it's going to cost us the fear of man. In other words, it's going to, to cost us our need to be accepted and validated and appreciated and applauded by man. You cannot have that idol in your life and worship, truly worship, not just in song, but also in obedience. And so, and so in the light of that, I want to go back to Isaiah 6, and I want us to have another look at the story of the prophet Elijah, who, who responds to God with a spontaneous rejoicing spirit of thankfulness because he's in the presence of this holy God, this awe-inspiring God, and, 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 and he knows that he doesn't deserve to be there. He knows that at best what he deserves is to be disqualified, to be alive but be disqualified. Even that would be mercy from God. He, deserves, he knows that he deserves absolutely nothing, and yet he receives atoning mercy and grace and cleansing, and purification, and out of that, there's the spontaneous eruption of a willing obedience. And I believe many of us have been at this place this weekend. Where you, you've been confronted by God's holiness, you saw God's holiness, and you were made aware of your own sinfulness, but at the same time, the beauty of the atonement. And some of you responded yesterday and Friday. And many of you will be responding over the next few weeks, and the next few months. We've received over 150 cards of people who responded this week and saying, yes, I want to go and plant a church. People who responded to God's call. And many of you in your heart, you know that God has got a calling on your life. And you've said yes to that. And many of you will say yes in the next little while. And, and I know that for many of us as pastors, we are going to need to be ready <laughs> to receive this new wave of spontaneous, willing, volunteer, servant-hearted people, putting up their hands and saying, I don't care what it's going to cost me, I want to respond to God's holiness, and I want to live for His glory. So if we can go to Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read that whole chapter for us before I unpack it in a little bit more detail for us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one with six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the one we sang about just now. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant and the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away in the forsaken places, are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it. And will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we can submit our hearts and our thoughts, our thinking, Lord, all of our experiences willingly, Lord, this morning to the searchlight of your word. We welcome, Lord God, the two-edged sword that is your word, and we pray that this morning you will continue to cut to the dividing asunder, Lord, of bone and marrow, spirit and soul, that you will come, Lord, and that you will lay bare the thoughts and the intents of our hearts in the light of your word, in the light of your holiness, and in the light of your grace. Father, I pray that the doorposts of our hearts and of our very lives will continue to tremble at the sound of your voice. And Father, I pray that you will set us ablaze for the sake of your glory and your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah, for those of you guys who missed out on on Friday, Isaiah is is, is wrapped up in this experience with the Lord. and, And we ended where he responds. He's in awe of God's holiness. He's in awe of God who's so majestic, so different. And he responds out of grace out of mercy. It's something that stirs in his heart because here's the truth. It is possible for us to go out and evangelize and plant life-giving ministries within the marketplace and raise our families and do a lot of stuff for God. It is possible to do that without having a revelation of the holy love of God. It is possible to go out and be very busy with God's work. That is possible. Jesus made it clear. He said, in the last days, there will be many who will come and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these awesome things? Did we not make disciples, raise up leaders, plant churches, God, in your name, prophesy, feed the hungry and clothe the poor? Did we not do these things? And he will say, go away from me. I never knew it's possible to do all of these things without a revelation of his holiness and his love. It is possible, but it is impossible to have a revelation of His holiness and His love and not go out. It's possible to go out without having that revelation, but it is impossible to have that revelation and not go out. There's this natural response to a forgiven sinner, this natural response to someone who understands the magnitude of his own depravity and sinfulness and brokenness and inadequacy, see the holiness of God, experience the love and the mercy of the grace of God, and just something stirs inside of your heart to such an extent that no preacher has to convince you to go. There's no need for motivational talks. There's no need for statistics to be shown on the screen. There's no need for documentary to be shown. There's no need for anybody to come and psych you up and ask you to go. Your going is a natural response to the awe and the gratitude of the holiness and the mercy of God. There was nobody there except the voice of God that was speaking to Isaiah. And so for many of us, we can think back to those first moments. We can think back to the moment when you had the touch from God, when you gave your life to the Lord, when something broke open and the the veil was torn and you saw God, you saw your own sinfulness, and you understood the power of His forgiveness. And man, the world changed, didn't it? 
He looked at everything differently. You can look at a cell phone <laughs> that you forgot somewhere and look at it through the lens of God's love. Because you're just like, man, God is amazing. I've got no rights in this life. Absolutely nothing. Whatever I have is grace from God. And I want to share this beautiful, amazing, awesome grace with those around me. Everything looks beautiful. Everything looks wonderful. Whether they are yakarandas or not, whether, whether they, they are oceans to surf or not, it doesn't matter where you are, everything looks beautiful in the light of His grace and the light of His holiness. And then when we come to the place where, where we are having to, for us as a Shofar Church family, looking back at 30 years of God's faithfulness, as Mason has said so beautifully, there's, there's for us now this beckoning, this calling back to this, this question God is asking us again. Will you go again? Because I don't know about you, but, but that first call is very often the most precious, the most beautiful one. That first response that we give to God. And I want to encourage you, if you have forgotten about that moment, that time, that season in your life when you had these conversations with God and it utterly changed everything about you, go back and revisit them. Get the journal out again. Think back to that date. Think back to that week. Go back and revisit those moments that you know you had an encounter with God that set your life in a different direction. Go and revisit those moments. But you know God, and, and what I see in the prophet Isaiah's life, that God desires us to have these moments and these encounters with Him, not just once every 30 years. <laughs> he desires us to be refreshed regularly, to come back to Him regularly, to have a, a, a fresh river being released into our lives. And there's this process that I quickly want to highlight for you that we see within this chapter. And I'm thankful to the Holy Spirit just yesterday as I was on the plane, flew out last night at, at 8 o'clock, and I was, I was on the plane and just thinking about this passage a little bit. And the Lord just gave me these, these 10 sort of phases that our callings go through. Because what I want to speak to you about this morning is stewarding the call that God has given us. Stewarding that call. Because receiving the call is one thing. Stewarding it is something completely different. Because many of us, we've been there. And we've, we've seen people who were there that once upon a time were desperate for God. Des absolutely def desperate and would say, God, anything, anywhere, whatever the cost, I do it. And then later on, that passion just wanes. And there's, there, there, there are a lot of things that have to be considered. I, I always joke with the guys down in, in Summers of the West that, that when I was up here, you know, people would often come to me from time to time and they would say, man, Heinrich, it was so amazing being with you. I just want to share with you that God has opened the door for us to go down to the Cape. I just want to thank you for everything that you've, that you've done. And, and man, just thank you so much. But now that I'm in Somerset, the West, I, I often have people, not that often, but I do have people who, who come to me and say to me, Heinrich, I don't know if I'm hearing correctly from the Lord. I need you to pray with me because I've, I feel that God might be wanting me to go to Joburg. <laughs> Can we just fast and pray just about this? <laughs> Some places are easier serving God than others. <laughs> but we, we get like that, don't we? When you've got a lot riding, you've got a lot of stuff that you've built up in your Western Cape little world, and you've got schools for your kids, and you've got all the sporting events, you've got the mountains, and you've got the ocean, you've got all of those things, and you've grown and walked with the Lord for a couple of years, and, and now you've built up your little life over there, and a word comes. But man, when that word came and you had nothing, no kids, nothing, just you and your Savior and saved, you're like, Jesus sent me anywhere. Johannesburg is beautiful. I'll go. Why? Because you beautify everything. But then we begin to get sophisticated. And we begin to get all these things that God has given us. In the Old Testament, we talk about those things as idols. Idols in our lives. And therefore, the only thing that can obliterate an idol is the revelation of God's holiness. Because that's what the competition is about. Ultimately, who or what is worthy of my devotion and your devotion. And what does devotion look like? Ultimately, devotion manifests not so much in the songs we sing, but in the obedience we live. Amen? 
that is the ultimate manifestation of devotion. I mean, it's impossible for me to say I love my wife and not show that to her. It's impossible. I can be thinking it. I can be meditating it. I can be in my room writing songs for if I were a songwriter, you know, and just sing these songs by myself, you know, and, 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 and just think and, and read books on love and, and go to seminars on love. And, but unless I show it to her, demonstrate it to her by putting her needs before my own and, and, and asking for forgiveness and being patient and gentle with her, it's simply just stuff in my heart. And I'm still on the throne because Heinrich needs to be served and Heinrich needs to be right and Heinrich needs to be the guy calling the shots. Then Heinrich is the idol. And so in this, in this process, I believe that God has for all of us a, a rhythm that he's inviting us into. And I want to ask you guys to, to just have a quick look at this. Firstly, the first thing that happens is that whenever God, whether it's the first time when you get saved or whether it's after 30 years for us as a church family, always what happens is, like in Isaiah's life, in Isaiah 6 verse 1, there's this drawing. Amen? There's this drawing. In other words, the fact that you are here this morning, the fact that you have a desire to serve God, to love God, does not begin with you. Amen? The very desire that you and I have to please God does not originate with us. It's Him drawing us. It's Him inviting us. It's Him reaching out to us. And the drawing is so important because you have, you have to understand that He chose you before the foundations of the world were created. You have to understand that He chose before you saw the light of the day, before you gave your first breath. He chose you, called you, extended the invitation to you. And therefore, in the light of His choosing you and drawing you, He puts you together for your calling. Why did you decide you needed, you needed brown eyes, relatively big ears, be skinny, be tall, have a fast metabolism, metabolism and, and all of those things, be born into a specific family because he shaped me and wired me for my calling. It starts with him. Shaped me, wired me for my purpose. And he's done the same for each and every one of us in this room. But often what God would do is he would use in our lives, what does he use to draw us? It is often circumstances. Like in Isaiah's life, we see that the circumstance that drove him to God, into God's presence, was the fact that this king had died. There was political instability. Every plan and hope and dream that this nation was building around this king floundered, fell apart. And Isaiah is filled with this uncertainty. Lord, now that, now that Uzziah's son Jotham is king by himself, what will this look like? Will he be a godly king? Will he be serving God? Will he lead us astray? And in that uncertainty... There's a desperation within Isaiah's heart. When was the last time we were utterly desperate for God? Desperate for Him. I'll never forget one of my first mission trips to Malawi. We, 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 we met a guy like next to the border. And um, he, he discovered that we were Christians. And, and um, it was like, man, can't you come to my village? And we haven't had people there in years sharing the word of God with us. And we're desperate, and, and where are you, where are you going? We told him the place, and he's like, whatever I need to do to get there, I will get there. And like many others, he would cycle days to get to that place to receive something fresh from God. Desperation, here we are, we can choose which service we want to go to, which church we want to go to, whether we're going to read our Bible or not, are we going to stream, are we going to watch it live? We've got so many choices. What choice would a desperate heart make? What choice would a desperate heart make? And then in the desperate response where, where Elijah is like, man, I don't care what the rest of my people are doing. I don't care whether they're oppressing the poor. I don't care whether they're bringing false, false worship to God. I don't care about all of the corruption, all the stuff in the temple and in the government. I am going to draw near. It's me, I, personally, me. Heinrich, I'm going to draw near to God. And in that drawing near, there's this divine revelation. Divine revelation that he gets of the majesty and the holiness of God. And so earth, 
like we often would sing, earth meets heaven, heaven meets earth. But that meeting, sometimes, you know, we sing the words in the songs and it sounds so fantastic. That's a hectic meeting when heaven meets earth. Things shudder and shake and has to move and something has to make way. And it's not heaven's kingdom that's going to make way. Something, someone has to bow the knee for heaven truly to meet earth. Otherwise, earth is just glancing at heaven. But for that meeting to take place, something has to shift, something has to move, something in actual fact has to die for heaven to have its way. And so the truthful confrontation comes out, of that, comes out of that revelation. A true revelation of God always has truth right at the center of it. Sometimes the truth is, man, shake yourself off. Get, get up out of the dust. Shake off the shame. I believe in you. I love you. You can do this. That's sometimes the truth that we need. And sometimes the truth is, what the heck are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> My desire is that God will never tell me just what I want to hear. But He will tell me what I need to hear. And when that's our hunger, and when that's our desire, then there's something that flows out of the truthful confrontation, and that is a heartfelt repentance. A heartfelt repentance. Again, not somebody saying, all right, so we have the altar call, we're going to sing. Now the band is going to, up, going to come up, they're going to set the scene and play nice music. Oh, come to the altar and all of those wonderful things that we need to do to, to create atmosphere. And then maybe, maybe someone will respond. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's man. <laughs> what must I do? What must I do? Uh, Isaiah 6 verse 1 speaks about the train of God's robe. It fills the temple. There are echoes of that in the New Testament where the train is the same word for the, for the, for the, for the, for the hem of a garment. There are echoes of, of that in the story of the, the woman suffering from the issue of blood. was pressing through the crowd so she could just touch the train of his robe. The hem of his garment. Desperation. Desperation. I, I used to tell the guys in, in Somerset the West that Johannesburg has set such a high standard for me of, of desperate people for God. Because I mean, here you are confronted, you drive down the road, there's a little sign next to the road that says, high risk, hijacking spot, crime alert. <laughs> You're just driving somewhere. <laughs> and you are pushed into community, pushed into God. I'm going to trust God, I'm going to live in fear. I love that about what this church carries. And my encouragement to you is never, ever lose that. Never lose your desperation for God, your heartfelt repentance of Him. Because out of that, there flows out of that heartfelt repentance. Because God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. What can make some people be in a Bible school class, a small group setting, a church setting like this, and one person walking out say, that was an incredible time and somebody else saying i was so bored <laughs> i was wasting my time and most of the time has to do with our own hearts the heart that comes before god and out of that out of that heart that draws near to god in humility there's forgiveness that's poured out atoning forgiveness that god comes and he cleanses isaiah's lips purifies him makes provision for him through through the sacrifice of Jesus for all of us. There's forgiveness that God pours out over us. And then out of that, there's this heavenly call. Out of that place, there is this heavenly call. There is this, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Out of that conversation around the holiness and the awe of God and forgiveness of God, out of that conversation, the call comes. Who will go? And then there's the joyful response. And I, I read that in different translations, and almost in all of them, it is, here I am, send me. Where the translations differ is where they put the exclamation mark. <laughs> in some translations, it's, here I am, <laughs> send me. In other translations, it's, here I am, send me. <laughs> pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. If you're going to do something, Jesus, do it through me. Do it through me. Man, I have in my spirit an expectation that that's the season we are going to go into. 
And I want to encourage those of us who have been with Jesus for a long time, get ready for some crazy people to upset your religious walk. Some people, you might be thinking, man, he should not be going. <laughs> God should not be sending him. <laughs> While he's asking you the same thing. Someone might just be a little bit more in awe of God. A little bit more aware of his love. A little bit more aware of his holiness. A little bit more aware of how much he has received. And I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. Joyful response. But then, as for Jeremiah, for Elijah, then so for us, there comes the counting of the cost. There comes the counting of the cost. Because he is this, the sequence that after Jeremiah, Jeremiah, after Isaiah comes and Isaiah says, Lord, here I am. Just a broken man, but cleansed, loved forgiven, purified, and being purified. Here I am. If you want to do anything, do it through me. Man, if, if I were to, to have someone come to me and say, Heinrich, I want to serve God, man. God has spoken to me. I, know I need to go. I need to not just visit that orphanage. I think God is speaking to me about actually moving there and investing my life into that orphanage. God is speaking to me. For instance, if that would be something God would be saying to some of you. I need to resign my, my job and, and I need to go into, into, into just ministering to, to those who are leprous and I need to move to India and partner with other people and lay my life down. Or, or God is saying to me, I need to, I need to step away from the safe church environment and wants me to go into the fashion designing industry and shine a light for God there. He's spoken to me about this. Then I wonder if I would have told him what God told Elijah. <laughs> And when Elijah saying, pick me, I'm going to go, I probably would have said, man, Elijah, man, you, you, you're going to see powerful things happening. You're going to see God moving on your behalf. You know, the rivers are going to open. Favor is going to be upon your life. Things are going to be incredibly exciting. <laughs> this is what God says to him. This boy, he was put up his hand to say that I will go. He says, go. And tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And you, you can continue to read that. Make the heart of this people dull and the ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. And he continues to speak to Elijah and say, Elijah, the word that I'm giving you is going to be a word that will not be received well. Jesus quotes us later on in the Gospels where he heals a young man on a Sabbath and the Pharisees get upset with him. How dare he do this? How dare he, 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 he break the mold and challenge them in their religious perceptions of what is possible and what not? And, 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 and then Jesus goes on and Jesus says to them, listen, my father is working and so am I. And then they get even more upset. So first they started persecuting Jesus because he's healing on the Sabbath and now they want to kill him because he says he and the father, they won. And so this, 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 this tension builds up between them. And then Jesus quotes this verse, and Jesus is like, but, you know, this is what's happening. You guys are not understanding what I'm about. You guys, are, that's why I have to speak to you in parables, because you don't understand what your hearts have grown dull. Because you've heard the word so many times, but you're not responding. You're not responding. And this is the message that Elijah receives from God. Speak word of comfort, speak word of judgment. Speak word of comfort, speak word of judgment. But Elijah... Tough things are going to be happening. Many people will reject you. It's going to take a long time for the restoration to come. And then there are many different interpretations on that portion of Scripture. What is clear is that the Lord is saying there's going to become, there's, there's a judgment coming, a discipline coming on God's people. And he used the Assyrians to, to capture Israel. He used the Babylonians to do the same for Judah. Later on, he used the Romans in AD 70. But there's this purification that's happening. There's this cleansing that's happening. And, and, and just as soon as you think, okay, it's enough now, at least, you know, there's a tenth that remains, the Bible says. A tenth will remain after there's been devastation. So Elijah, under your word, cities will be laid waste. Yay. <laughs> at your word, things will be burned down. At your word, while you are ministering, Elijah, things are going to grow smaller. 
do you still want to go? <laughs> and after things have grown smaller, they will grow smaller still. <laughs> I'm not going to be done, Elijah, until everything is burned down and only a seed remains. You're going to step out in obedience and the first thing you, you do might come tumbling down. Do you still want to go? You're going to say yes and, and not everybody's going to think that's amazing and you might be challenged in some of your relationships. You're still going to say yes. And many of us who have walked with the Lord for a long time now, we look back on that call and we're like, okay, I understand now. And then the beauty comes. I believe the Lord is asking us as shofar, Will you still go? Will you go again? In other words, will you trust me with the results? I'm going to do what I need to do, Elijah, until only a seed remains. And that seed is a holy seed. And that, that seed speaks on different levels of, of us as, as the remnant, as the people, of, the people of God who carry what God has given us. But primarily, it speaks about Jesus, the seed that came forth. And it came to bring deliverance to his people. But everything had to be cut down. There needed to be a time of purification. And if we can have that, have that picture up, out of that stump comes this new life. Out of that stump comes the, the new life. That new life, the, the, the root of Jesse, the, the one, that the, the, the seed that was promised to Eve that would come forth and would crush the heel of the, the, the head of the serpent. Because Israel had to know it was not about them. Redemption was not going to come through them and through their structures. Redemption was only going to come through the Holy One. And when we say yes, we have to understand, I'm not saying yes because redemption is going to come through me. It's going to come through the Holy One. And everything inside of me that's competing with that has to be burned down. Will you still go? Even when it entails everything that's not of God over time being burnt away. I thank God for His fire. Thank God for His purification. And even as I'm thanking Him, I'm not always sure when I, I, I often hear people say, man, I thank God for the pain. I'm like, what kind of man are you? <laughs> but I begin to understand something about the same because they understand that they, wouldn't have, they would not have had the fruit, the joy, what they're experiencing now unless they'd gone through the pain. We're not going to have the seed, the new life growing, unless everything else that was false was burned away. And there was something that I just want to release over us that God has been burning away out of our midst. And what I've seen over the years can be one of the greatest obstacles to us stewarding our call well. It's a little insidious thing that God is busy purifying out of our midst. And Jesus touches on this in John 5, 44, sort of towards the end of that, the confrontation that I read with you, or sp spoke about Jesus and the Pharisees. And he, and he says to the Pharisees, you guys have heard of, of Moses and John, but you're refusing their testimony. You're looking at Scripture to, to find eternal life, but you're not believing me who is the eternal life. And he says, but you cannot believe, he says. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another? And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. They had everything they needed. They had the word, they had the prophecies. They had everything they needed to be the generation that would see Jesus, welcome Jesus, and partner with Jesus. They had everything they needed, the Pharisees. His word, they had the, the beacons along the way of his faithfulness, they had the prophet that had gone before Jesus. They had everything, but yet they couldn't see, they couldn't embrace what God was doing in their midst. Why? Because they were blinded by the fact that they were living for men and not for God. Remember Isaiah? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Why do we want to go? For the sake of His glory. So all the glory can go to God. Or the glory to God, not to shofar, not to a man, not to my ego, not to, not to me proving somebody wrong, but all glory can go to God. The thing that prevents us from living for His glory is when we fall into the trap of living for the glory of man. 
And the glory, of, the glory of man is simply the need that we have for the validation of man, the acceptance of man. And Elijah had to die to that. If Elijah wanted people to like him, he would never have brought the word. If Elijah was looking at, am, am I successful? Is this word successful? Is this word having fruit? He would have looked at the growth, the numerical growth. And he would have come to the inevitable conclusion that I must be doing something wrong because the more I preach, the fewer the people become. <laughs> at one stage in Summers of the West, I was growing our church down from 400 people to like 150. <laughs> God was busy purifying. And cleansing. I remember saying to God, God, the last thing I want to do when I move down to Psalms of the West, I don't want people to like me because I'm nice. I'm Heinrich the nice guy. Oh, God answered that prayer in so many different ways. <laughs> I never had so many people not liking me. <laughs> like, oh, why did I pray that? <laughs> but I had to speak the truth. And just some of our friends just couldn't. And God had to come and purify and cleanse. And, and now there's the seed that's growing. There's something beautiful that is happening. But I had to die to my fear of man. I had to die to this desire to have people like me and to have them just look at me and think, Oh man, yeah, it's not too bad. And so far, there is something that God is busy rooting out of our lives. Because on the one hand, we can, we can fall into this trap of, of wanting to have people like us. What building are we having? <laughs> what kind of band are we having? What kind of programs are we doing? And those of you guys who have said, yes, the thing that we want to come and strangle and suffocate the call of God in your life is if you are going to think, what are people going to think? If you're going to be obsessed around that. And it's insidious. It's subtle. But I believe God's purifying fire has done a deep work to cleanse and rid us of that. The other way in which this, the Spirit manifests, and I'm reading the last portion of Scripture for us, comes from James 3, verse 13 to 18. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Many of you have said yes, and many of you will be saying yes. What you have to just trust the Lord for this morning to say, God, I'm saying yes. And I'm not going to base my yes upon how people respond. I'm going to base my yes upon your holiness. And then secondly, God, I'm not going to base my yes upon other people's yeses and what you are doing in their lives. What are you doing in my life, through my life? And when I say yes, I'm also wanting to ask you for the grace to say yes well. Like James says, show your good behavior. Say yes Go out, plant the church. Go and start an NGO. Go and partner. Go on mission. Go and make friends cross-culturally. Go and do all of those things. Lay your life down in worship for the Lord. But do it in such a way that you do it in gentleness and in wisdom. I'm shocked at how often we can do the right thing with a stinking attitude. Because I've said Yes. Because I've said years and I've had an encounter with God, I now have the right to do and say what I want to because I am the servant of God. And we rarely verbalize it like that. But it creeps in subtly and it manifests in something that James touches on. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. May our years never be in competition with somebody else. Amen? Because if you have those things in your heart, what happens is you become arrogant and you eventually you lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is natural, it is demonic. I've seen people say yes to the call of God only to have their ministries and their callings suffocate and die because they succumbed to the spirit of jealousy. God, why, God, why is it taking me five years to grow to 50 people? And the other guy has them within six months. God, why, why is it taking me so long to have the funds that I need for this thing? God, why, 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 why? For there where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. I mean, we don't want disorder, eh? We don't want to be open to every evil thing, Chaos. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, 
full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. So when we say yes, let's just not say yes to the right thing, but let's say yes to doing the right thing the right way. And the Spirit is pure, peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, showing good fruits, impartial and free of hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The greatest calling I believe that we can say yes to. Say, God, we want to follow in your footsteps, be ministers of reconciliation. We want to be ministers of reconciliation. May the different callings and giftings that God has given us, if I can ask the band, please, to come up. May our yes, the fact that we have responded to God, and the fact that we are responding to God, may it be done in such a way that glory will come to God because not just because of what we do, but how we do it. And I had to ask the Lord to, to come and just come and purify us as a church family. Because there's unfortunately been from time to time, there have been like just little things that crept in. In competition between different ministries and different this and different that. And the Lord has been on our case the last five years to really rid us of that. I'm so thankful. And I want to ask you guys if you can stand to to trust the Lord with me as we get ready for this wave of new sons, new daughters, new church planters, new marketplace ministers, new husbands, new wives that, that, that are going to live with a sense of calling and destiny. To live in such a way that we are free from the spirit of jealousy and competition. That we are free from the fear of man. Free from, man, if this isn't Facebook worthy or Instagram worthy, then maybe it's not such a success. Say, <laughs> so God, is this worthy of heaven's attention? God, is this worthy of heaven's approval? This is what I'm doing, thinking, saying, and meditating. My yes that I'm giving to you, not just in the what, but in the how, does this carry heaven's approval? I do not want to live for the glory of man but for His glory alone. Father, thank You so much for a people, Lord, that I know love You. A people, Lord, who live with such a sense of desperation in their hearts towards You, God, that You have given them the blessing and the honor of Your voice. I just feel, God, that the reason why Your prophetic voice can operate here is because there's a purity in spirit that is present here. And I pray, Lord, that you will diligently guard that spirit. I pray that you will diligently, Lord, um, watch over that spirit and give your people, the fathers and the mothers, many of you have been called to be fathers and mothers in the faith, to raise up others who will go further than what you could possibly go. But to do so with a fear of God and understanding that it doesn't matter how long we need to do what God has called us to do as long as His purpose is established. That there's, a, there's a calling that God is giving us of those who will say yes all the way to the end. All the way to the end. And not turn around when things get difficult. Not grow offended with God and grow offended with other brothers because they didn't pray for me or because they misunderstood me or because they weren't there for me. And it will not judge those who are doing things differently than what we are. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.